the Triathlon Show 391. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Tamara Jewett. Tamara is a pro triathlete from Canada focusing on middle distance triathlon. She has eight Ironman 73 podiums on her resume including three wins and she's known as being one of the fastest runners in triathlon and is currently ranked ninth in the world in the PTO rankings. Before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. They help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools, education, and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid intake. And you can book a free 20-minute video consultation to chat through your plan with the athlete support team. I actually just had one of these consultations myself earlier today as I record this intro, and it was brilliant. Shout out to Chris. Thank you for some great advice to help me optimize my hydration strategy for some races that I have coming up. Uh, and I have used their entire range of products for a long, long time, and I think they're absolutely brilliant. So I highly recommend trying them out. You can get 15% off your first order with the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer allows you to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency, even when you're short on time. It's a great tool for busy athletes because you can do a quality workout in just 15 minutes at home, even on days when you don't have time to get to the pool. And it is a perfect complement to pool and open water swimming as it allows you to focus specifically on key aspects of your swimming, like your catch and your power, and isolate them more easily than you can in the water. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days, so if you don't love it, just send it back, and you can get 20% off your first order on senatesintra.com forward slash TTS. Now without any further ado, here's my interview with Tamara Dewitt. Welcome to the Triathlon Show, Tamara. How are you doing? Thank you. Hello. I'm good. How are your legs after the PTO European Open? We're recording uh, five days, I think, after after the race. And uh, yeah, how, how has your recovery gone? Yeah, pretty good. Um, a little sore today, partly just from cycling the uh, 70.3 Axe of Provence bike course yesterday. Um, it's very hilly. So I think on top of recovering, it was it was a lot for my quads. <laughs> Right, yeah, straight straight back to it. So, Asan Provence, uh, I think, is in uh, well a week and a bit from when we record. So, two weeks after the PTO European Open. Yeah. Uh, but uh, before getting into your your race schedule and other bits and pieces, uh, can we start with uh, just an introduction? Can you tell us more about who you are for those listeners that might not be familiar with you? Yeah, I'm Tamara Jewett. I am a pro from Canada. Um, I've been racing as a pro since 2019. Uh, and then I started triathlon in 2018. Um, my background's in track and field before that, but I had a really, um, kind of a decade of injury problems in track, ultimately culminating in, uh, trying out triathlon, uh, and, and getting into that more. Mm. Maybe we jump straight into that background. There are a couple of follow-ups, uh, that I want to get into, but yeah, firstly, with the injuries, uh, can you share more about what sort of injury problems you had and how long were they ongoing before you switched to triathlon? Yeah, so um, 
I had kind of a breakthrough year in track in 2008 uh, when I was 18 as, as a junior and competed well at the World Junior Track and Field Championship and then started university in Canada the next year and kind of had uh, almost constant injury problems. Um, the, there were a whole bunch of different things and the most frequent uh, issue was that plantar fascia tears. Um, so your plantar fascia is like a soft tissue in the bottom of your foot. And, uh, if it gets irritated, that's plantar fasciitis. But for me, often that would turn into an actual tear, which can just be very slow to heal because it's a low blood supply area. Um, and I, I think I had like three tears and then plantar fasciitis once in between that I had two femoral stress fractures, a tibial stress fracture, a disc bulge in my back, sesamoiditis, which is like a, an issue with one of the tiny bones in your feet. Um, and I think, I think those are the really major ones. There were like smaller things <laughs> in between that too. But, but the final plantar fascia tear, so typically when I would develop one of those, it would take about six months to heal. The, the last one that I had was right at the insertion point and it took uh, about 18 months to heal. Um, so that, uh, that was pretty discouraging. I wasn't sure if I would ever be able to run on it again. And, and some people can train through sort of the milder version plantar fasciitis, but I just never had luck with that. It would just end up tearing. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, so during that period of time, eventually sort of for my own sanity, I started doing more swim and bike and then, um initially did some age group triathlon with the idea that it would just force me to come back to running more slowly but really really enjoyed that and decided to switch sports looking back at these injury issues is there anything that you can pinpoint that these are some things that could have been done differently whether by you or maybe it was kind of coaching that was wasn't right or but yeah any things that you now feel like well those could have been contributing factors to to all of these injury issues yeah I, I think there were a whole bunch of different things going on and so dealing with it was kind of peeling away different layers of the onion there wasn't sort of one thing it was a sort of storm of different things so um, one of them was that uh, a few years before that all started, when I was 16, I had quite a serious uh, eating disorder and I wasn't really getting my fueling to where it should be for, for my training really until like near, near the end of my 20s. It was like a gradual process. Like obviously in the first year of dealing with that, it, I got things to a much better state that wasn't dangerous, but but it was a long time where I wasn't really supporting my training properly and also just putting my body through that, I think um, made me more susceptible to injuries and made some of the healing timelines slower than they might've been. So that was one thing. Um, just also the, the structure of my feet and my body. Um, I have really rigid arches and my feet just seem prone to, to developing plantar fascia issues if I'm not really on top of it. And middle distance running is particularly hard on your body. So I actually find um, like half marathon training for 70.3s uh, a bit easier on my body. It's not uh, as intense sort of quickness. You're not going in circles around the track as much, which 
I was developing some hip imbalances from just running in, in tight circles and on, especially on like Canadian uh, 200 meter indoor tracks in the winter. It's a lot of tight turns. Um, and then I think maybe also just always like the amount of stress that I was under balancing sport with my, my school problems on top of those other things that was going wrong was, was sometimes not helping me. Um, I'm usually like a lot of runners run into injury issues like that because of suddenly increasing mileage. And I don't, I don't really think that that was a strong factor for me. I think my coaches were actually pretty careful about run mileage um, in first year university, but always resistant to, to mixing a lot of cross training in unless we absolutely needed to. And just seeing how my body responds to doing more swim and bike. Um, near the end of some of those injury cycles, people were trying to convince us to just work that into my regular run training. And I think it would have saved my track career if we had. So I, I regret that we didn't do that. Yeah. And uh, with the eating disorder, uh, I think this is an important topic that can probably help a lot of uh, listeners to hear more about. So what in the end, how how did you work yourself uh, back on the right track, so to say, through that period when you say that you first had it when you were was it 16 and but and then it took you years to kind of get it better and better and and f- finally like get it like really really right and properly f- support your training but what was the process of of that like uh, did you have uh, professional help or did you figure it out on your own i uh, i wish that i had accepted more professional help i think on the physical side of things I did work with some nutritionists and that was helpful for setting some better baseline feeling habits, but I didn't ever work with a psychologist. And I think I made my life a lot harder um, because of that. Uh, So it was a really long, very self-driven process for me. Um, I, yeah. So the worst physical part of it where I was sort of most underweight and also very anemic and my blood indicators were very bad was when I was 16. Um, and that point it was mostly the focus for my coaches was just working with a nutritionist. They weren't as focused on the psychological aspects, but that did help me get to uh, sort of a baseline level of, of being healthier and, and things went much better with my running. But I think, you know, I was still, uh, even once I I was better, I was still a good, like eight pounds lighter than what I would consider like my sort of like stable, more stable, healthy weight now, um, for a long time. And, uh, in first or second year university, I was referred to, uh, a program at one of the hospitals in Toronto that, um, was very focused on a sort of well-rounded approach to um, dealing with what was then called female athlete triad and now is sort of like red S and and that was supposed to involve uh, working with a psychologist as well and I just refused I was really stubborn it's a really tough mindset to be in and I kind of refused to follow up on continuing with that program um, so the next decade was a lot of me chipping away internally uh at trying to solve this problem and 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 the um it was such a long process i think being very very 
driven to improve my athletic results helped a lot, even though initially it had been one of the contributing factors in developing the problem. And because I was running into injury after injury and problem after problem, it was just very apparent over time to me that um, what I was doing wasn't working and I would have to find a way to to do things differently. Um, But also it's a very, the psychological aspect of, of an eating disorder like that is just a very, uh, tense, controlled, and, and unhappy mindset to be into. And, and I wasn't sure that I would ever be able to get out of that. And it, it really wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I felt like I was fully healed from it. Um, one thing that definitely seemed like it helped me a lot was one of the femoral stress fractures I was on crutches for a very long time and um, just had, was able to do a lot less activity kind of by necessity and and really had to accept a lot of changes in my body. And that was a very hard process, but I felt a big boost of well-being after that psychologically. And, and um, my sister now actually was a clinical uh, training to be a clinical psychologist and, and she, um, was worked with in an eating disorder clinic in Toronto. And one of the most common uh, treatments that does have some success is uh, like a forced stopping exercise like that. So I feel like I was a bit lucky in a strange way that some of my injuries mimicked a treatment that I wasn't willing to put myself through. But um, it's hard from my experience to sort of have a good roadmap of, of how other people can can get to the same good place with it because it um it wasn't any kind of like conventional sort of treatment process and uh it was really hard and it took a long time and I think that if I had accepted more um help with it then I you know it might have made my life a lot easier and helped solve the problem a lot more quickly well I think that that in itself is is really good advice um, do you think that it's uh, that eating disorders uh, or disorder eating patterns are uh, different or more common, let's say, in athletics compared to triathlon, or do you think that they are quite commonplace in in both of these sports and uh, and other endurance sports as well? Um, they're very very common in running, and I I I don't know as much like I. I'm much more familiar with sort of the younger athlete development path in track and field than in triathlon. And I'm more familiar with long course triathlon than in short course triathlon. My impression switching sports is that as much as people in triathlon can run into problems, there are more supports in the way that the sport um, operates that can, can help mitigate maybe falling into to some of that psychology. I, I think that, um, as much as it's far from perfect, like the the body image associated with triathlon is is significantly better than a very very narrow view of a desirable body image for running. Um, and um, I really, yeah, I've been more aware of it in track. I still see my my brother in law coaches uh, high school track, and every year it seems we do see athletes. Uh, uh, especially high school athletes running into uh, issues. So um, I, I found it quite a relief to leave 
track and, and star triathlon just because I, I found that there was such a bigger variety of different body types that, that people felt were good in the sport of triathlon and, and a bit less of an emphasis on, on the idea of needing to be thin to be fast, which for me completely didn't work in running. Um, I, you know, I, I ran, I've run, I've run a lot faster now that I'm at a heavier weight than I was when I was dealing with all of these issues, but, um, yeah, yeah. And I think, um, for me, I also, I feel like with cycling and cycling long distances, like when you bonk on the bicycle, you can feel so acutely like just needing more, more fuel. I, I always come back to that now actually as like just a visceral feeling of like, if I do not put calories into my body, it actually just doesn't work for this sport. Whereas I did feel like in running, I could cheat that a little bit more. I could, um, I could get by uh, with my body being under a lot more stress and less feeling than I, I feel like I can swimming and cycling. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and when you got started, so uh, can you say again, what year was it that you first started doing some swimming and cycling for cross training? Um, swimming and cycling for cross training started a little bit earlier than I got into triathlon. So I think it was around 2014 that um, I started to swim a little bit with a recreational triathlon club at my university in Toronto. Um, and I would sort of swim with them while I was injured and then stop when I wasn't injured and just go back to doing running full time. And, and that started um, because I had just such a long stretch of time where my, at first, most of my cross training was pool running. And I got so tired of pool running, I really couldn't stand it anymore and I, I felt like I needed to make a change to keep going and it was appealing to have a, a training community and, and a sport that um, you know I could kind of look at doing like masters swim competitions or there were some other goals I could set with it whereas you know like pool no one has pool running competitions <laughs> um, and then cycling uh most of my cross training when I was just running was sort of just like in a gym stationary bike kind of stuff I didn't really get into road cycling um until maybe 2017 uh my my partner Chris is very enthusiastic about cycling and, and got me into it a bit more right and uh so so when you got into triathlon first in 2018 what was your level of cycling and swimming at, at that point um, it was good for a recreational level. Um, I've always been comfortable in the water. Like at that time, I hadn't had a lot of formal like competitive swim training, but I've always grown up like playing in pools and playing in lakes. And, and so I always felt comfortable. And then aerobically, I was very, very fit. And so um, I, I could do like I was sort of swimming like working towards, let's say, like a 30-minute 2K in a triathlon for swim. And and cycling, um, I honestly don't even remember, like, what my bike splits would have been at that time. I, I found that that one took me, like, really uh, – it's, it's only recently that I start to feel like I can really push myself as hard at, at cycling. I felt like it's taken me a while to learn how to work as hard on a bicycle as I can when I'm running. Mm. Is it because you feel that your muscles are limiting you more than your cardiovascular system, so you can't quite drive your heart rate up and your ventilation, or or what is the reason for that? I'm not really sure. Uh, 
sure. Yeah, pro- like probably that's an aspect and something that we've really focused on over the last year has been more, um, more and more cycling specific strength training, but um, just, just like such a different feel. I, I don't know. It's, it's just been chipping away at, at getting used to being on a bicycle and being used to the feel of pushing myself on a bicycle. Yeah. So in 2018, when you when you started triathlon, did you jump straight into 7.3 racing, or did you do some sprint and Olympics uh, as an amateur, uh, or what was the the first start of your competitive triathlon career like? Yeah, I did I did a mix of different distances. So the first one was a sprint distance. There's a really good um, like local sort of triathlon circuit in Ontario where I live, um, and so I. I think that this first summer that I did triathlons, I did uh, one sprint distance, two Olympic distance, and two um, two sort of seventy point three distance. Um, the first seventy point three I did was seventy point three Muskoka, which uh, I think in the past has had a pro field. It doesn't have a pro field right right now, and didn't the year that I did it. But it's uh, a really good local one. It's the closest one to me. Mm. And and then in 2019 you already started you did your first pro races so uh, your results were obviously quite good uh, very very early, early on what was the decision to to go for that pro license like what what led you to do that um yeah a lot of it was my my coach Suzanne who I still work with like uh, really from the start of when I was getting into triathlon wanted me to do that and to try to to do pro triathlon and I um as I started to really enjoy it, it, it my focus kind of switched from how do I get back into track and resuscitate what I'm doing there to um you know maybe I'll maybe I'll just try one year of pro triathlon is sort of originally how it started but um I won all of my local races in 2018 and um was enjoying it and uh so it wasn't an issue to be able to get a pro license and then we sort of sat down and originally our goal was to just try to qualify for 70.3 worlds. So we were comparing, um, like I was particularly worried about whether my bike split would be good enough for that. And we were kind of comparing to another pro in Toronto that um, uh, was racing with me a bit and who had been at worlds and, and at the time was a much stronger cyclist, but kind of within reach uh, of, of where I was. And, and so we started to look at that and strategize about what races to try to do to see if we could qualify um, for 70.3 worlds. It, it was a bit of a, a strange season. I broke my collarbone that year, um, one month before what was supposed to be my pro race. So I was supposed to start racing in July, 2019. And I ended up um, waiting until September, uh, September, 2019. To, and I just did two pro races that year. Yeah, yeah. Looking at your uh, PTO page here, so you did Augusta and Buenos Aires, and uh, third place there in the fourth place and third place in those two races with a four eighteen and four seventeen. For listeners that are interested, uh, obviously all of your pro results can be found found on the PTO website, which is really handy. Um, if we jump to uh, to present day, so you've just raced PTO European Open, finished uh, sixth, a great result, and and you won Central Three Ocean side. Uh, in April, congratulations on on that. How do you feel about these two races so far, and what are your goals for the rest of the year? 
Yeah, I'm really happy with them. 70.3 Oceanside was a, a really breakthrough win for me. It's the third time I've won a 70.3, but definitely like the highest profile and sort of toughest competition that I've I've won against. And um, and also the, the most that I've sort of been in the swim and the bike race in a 70.3 rather than kind of being off in the middle somewhere and then running my way up to the podium. So um, that was a really fun race experience for me just to have, um, you know, to have the front of the race in my sights already coming out of the water um, was new. <laughs> so we've been working towards, but it hadn't happened yet. And uh, um, yeah, really just thrilled. It, it was a really exciting way to start the season. And, and then um, very pleased with six at the European Open. That's my best result at the PTO's 100 kilometer distance um, last year my best was 13th at the Canadian open. So it was a big improvement. Um, I, I kind of lost my pack like three quarters of the way through the swim. And that really set me into no man's land for a lot of the, the bike, which, which was hard. Um, so wasn't as happy with how all of the race dynamics played out for me there, but um, glad that I was able to sort of stay positive and keep chipping away and, and sort of, uh, catching some people on the bike and then moving up the field in the, in the run. And um, yeah, I feel like that was really good progress and um, hoping, hoping to kind of try to solidify that through the rest of the season. Um, really, um, really going to try for a top five result, a 70.3 world. If I can, that's sort of the, the goal. And um, just from now until then, like building through that and I, I'm racing 70.3 X on Provence. May 21st um, just because I'm I'm in Europe already and I, I wanted a bit more experience with some European racing and then uh, racing 70.3 Trombla uh, back home in Canada which is just always a really fun environment to compete as a Canadian uh, and then probably PTO US Open early August and then World end of August um, and then the fall is still a bit of un unknown. All of the race organizers have been a bit slow to publish their their full fall schedules. Or I'm particularly hoping that Ironman will add a little bit more to what they have up now. So uh, I keep checking in each month to see if there are more races on the calendar for the fall and, and try to start thinking a bit about what I would do then. Yeah, no, but that's a that's already a a great summer of racing and and uh, some big races with uh, in particular the uh, US Open and and 73 worlds so exciting times and and you actually i think this was after the European Open is when you moved into the top 10 in the rankings so you're ranked 9 ninth in the world right now so that's uh that's really cool yeah it is i'm kind of yeah it's fun i'll enjoy it while i can i mean obviously my goal is to like keep trying to move up in in those but they you know everyone is so good in in the top part of those rankings and it moves around all the time so i'll i'll enjoy it a little bit while, while i'm there too <laughs> yeah so so on the topic of race selection how what is your i mean some things are i guess pretty obvious like you have some like main goals like annual three words and, and maybe the pto races that that you focus but around what well, can you do, can you describe that a bit more how do you think about which races to target and 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 why uh, why you go for those races and so on yeah i i think um a few different factors um I really want to be, well, I think, so financially, I will look at, at what, like, what is the prize purse and what is 
the travel like and and a bigger prize purse makes it the travel makes more sense but also is more likely to attract other high level competition and and I really want the experience of of racing against really uh, top athletes um from a developmental standpoint um and so um anything like regional championships races that are like have a more of a prize purse in the 70.3 schedule um like the PTO races I will often prioritize because of the fields that they've been attracting um so that's important and then um often I will also look at what's close to home and particularly can I can I drive there if possible, just because that cuts down on, on my expenses quite a bit, not having to rent a car and, and just uh, less cost getting to the event. Um, so it's not always possible to plan things close to home, but if there's a good race close to home, I will usually prioritize that and, and drive long distances in North America. So last year, um, I think the longest, like we drove 16 hours to, to Chattanooga rather than flying there. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but then at the same time, like I've really wanted to try some more racing in Europe. And so it's a bit extravagant for me in the way that I normally plan to do 70.3 X on Provence, but because the PTO, um, European open was so close to it and I'm here already, it's, uh, something we wanted to try this year and it fit in a little bit better. Um, and then, and then the other factor is sort of timing spacing um so if we'll have a goal race at the start of the season that we kind of identify and and you know each year we've sort of had a goal based around 70.3 worlds in particular um then it's looking at what what do we need to fit in before that and and wanting to do um you know like a lot of racing but not too too much so when do we want two races in a month, which would be usually the most I've or only that's the most I would really do. That's the most I have done or one race in a month. Do we need a month somewhere that is just more of a building month and more time at home again? Um, and so Suzanne, my coach and I will kind of look at all of those factors and, and usually something falls into place pretty naturally um, as we just look at the schedules with those considerations in mind. Yep. So let's uh, discuss your training and uh, maybe we can start with the swim and uh, if you can give an overview of things like uh, a rough outline of uh, your volume, how often you swim in a week, what are the hard and easy workouts and uh, and most and most important types of workouts that you tend to do in in the swim. Yeah, so the biggest thing for my swim um over the past couple of years has been uh, that in 2020, uh, I met my current swim coach, Miguel Vidillo, and he's been helping me and Suzanne really take a huge step back from what we were doing in the swimming and just improve, like work on technique a lot. And, um, you know, when he first met me, I kind of teased him that like one of the first things he said to me was like, oh, you swim pretty well for someone who doesn't know how to swim at all. <laughs> um, and uh so that was really hard at first i really slowed down a lot in terms of times that i was used to hitting in the water and the swim training all became really trusting uh his input for each practice in terms of what we were focusing on and um you know there was still some sort of fitness interval aspects but 
but at times like at the very start of it there would even be things like like just like floating in the water to work on body position um and then it's really only in the past half year that we've really in my mind been able to build the um more of the like fitness work back on top of what we were of what we were doing or like get get past the times that I was able to run I sorry that I was able to swim before I started that whole process um but in terms of volume it it varies we've increased it recently um for a long time during the pandemic I I couldn't get full access for more than an hour at a time and so we were stuck with three kilometer swims for most of that recently we've bumped that up to a mix of anything from three kilometers to six kilometers in a swim session in a typical week and then once in a while we'll throw in a seven kilometer session or I've done one uh just actually almost a week before Oceanside I did one eight kilometer swim session which was the most that I had done um I swim usually five times a week and one of those swims is really purely technique work with a bunch of um, age group triathletes at all different levels. Like most of them are, are quite a bit slower than me, but we're all really trying to work on our form and we just do that workout together. And I'll just do a little bit of speed work at the end of it usually, but it's not, I don't keep track of what the mileage is for the workout. Um, it's really just slowing things down and, and focusing on drills. Um, and then the other sessions are kind of what Miguel comes up with on the day and it shifts throughout the year. Um, you know, there are general patterns like... Sorry, is this all with... Uh, is Miguel there with uh, with you and a bunch of other age groupers for all of these sessions or or is it just you and him on the uh, at the pool for those other sessions or how, how what is the setup like? Yeah, so, so Friday has the most athletes there for the technique session, but these are quite small sessions. So that's normally, let's say, six people. Um, and we're swimming at actually like a, a private pool that's owned by by one of the triathlon club members that, that Miguel coaches. And then other days there might be four to six of us. And, and my main training partner on the other days is uh, Kristen Marchant, who um, is another very good Ontario pro, but she's had a lot of injury problems. She actually um, is having hip surgery. So she really hasn't been able to race very much or do very much running, um, but her swim has gotten very good. And so um, she's really pushing me in the in the pool right now. She's She's been consistently a bit, quite a bit at times faster than I am. And so she's sort of someone that I can, can chase and try to work on, um, uh, try to work on catching up with. But so, so because they're small sessions, Miguel's able to give us quite a bit of feedback on what we're doing and pay quite a bit of attention to each athlete. And um, I swim with that group about three times a week. The other two swims would just be on my own at a local pool where here Suzanne will give me the workout and I'm just implementing it on my own. Yeah. So, and would there be uh, any pattern of the workouts with Miguel would always be more focused on uh, technique and, and a bit of fitness and the uh, ones from Suzanne would be more the kind of harder workouts or, or is it just really mixed up and can be uh, either way? 
the ones from Suzanne aren't necessarily harder, but they will more consistently be um, fitness based. Um, Suzanne's also attentive to swim technique, but Miguel has a, a is the one kind of planning that in terms of what we're doing. So if I have a workout from him, it will have some fitness sets in it. Usually they're usually very targeted um, to some kind of specific goal. So it might be some kind of, um, you know, like rather than just giving me a pace time to start with, it might be like I swim a certain interval and based on the time that I do that interval at a certain perceived effort that day, then we design the pace times based on that. Or he might throw in swim equipment more often than Suzanne will. And, uh, and he definitely throws in other swim strokes quite a bit more. So um, they're not always significantly different, but the ones from Miguel will tend to have a bit more variety in them in terms of what we're doing. And um, the ones that Suzanne puts together are a little bit, I think, more, um, more kind of like generically what you would see for a lot of triathlon training. Yeah. Um, and biking wise, what is, uh, yeah, what does your bike training look like? Um, again, it, it like varies at different times. Um, Suzanne is in charge of all of that. And, uh, in the winter I'm just on the trainer. Um, and so the overall hours of cycling when I'm on the trainer tend to be less than if I'm outside. I, I actually never sit down and just calculate like, oh, how many hours specifically of biking was I doing this week? That's just sort of my perception. <laughs> um, but the trainer work is is often uh, a bit more intense uh, and we'll have two two trainer workouts in a week that are, are very high intensity. Um, one of them might even just be something like a Zwift race. I've been doing some uh, Zwift racing with a group of other triathlon pros that I know. And then another one, particularly in the winter, we'll do some like really short high end power intervals, which, um, you know, it might be like 30 second intervals with, with 10 seconds rest is the main, um, set. Um, and then other days, you know, then we'll have some like moderate, moderate days and some easy days when we're outside, um, there's a little bit more riding that is less targeted. So like my three hour ride on the trainer might still have some just kind of like intervals to keep your mind occupied more than anything. If it's outdoors, that might just be go for a long ride, trying to keep the power low. Um, and then we, we work into once I'm off of the trainer uh, sort of in the spring um, through the rest of the year, one of the bike workouts will be a big brick workout with run and that and maybe one other cycling effort in the week will have the most uh, like interval work in it. Yeah. And will you do uh, most of your bike training on the TT bike or will you mix things up with a road bike and maybe even gravel and other things? Most of it is on my TT bike. Um, my road bike right now is really old and needs a good tune-up, so I haven't been out on it very much. I really only use that if I'm riding with like a cycling club that doesn't really want a TT bike around. Um, I do do some mountain biking. I'm not very good at mountain biking, but I'm trying to improve. Um, and the mountain biking would normally be like instead of a recovery ride in the week, I can do my recovery ride mountain biking. Um, and a lot of that is 
uh, my partner, Chris, really loves mountain biking. So it's a good opportunity to ride together. But also, um, I think it, like, it gradually just translates into better bike handling. So I do try to mix a bit of that in. Yeah. Um, and uh, running-wise, uh, what give us, give us an overview of that. Yeah. So running, I do three times a week and usually uh, about... 60 kilometers total each week. Um, it's definitely the, the lowest volume of the three different sports. And that's always uh, each week, two interval workouts and one mileage run. So, so would you do, I mean, so you would do kind of maybe 15, 16 kilometers in those two interval workouts and then a 30 kilometer run, or maybe, maybe even 18 kilometers for the interval workouts and 24 for the mileage run. Or so is that kind of how it breaks up if you do, because I'm just uh, thinking that 60 kilometers is relatively high for only doing three runs in a week. Uh, but of course you're running pretty quickly. So, <laughs> so the miles go by quickly. Yeah. I think with, with the intervals, especially like they, those can get up there. It depends. It depends a lot on the the type of interval workouts we're doing. Like obviously sometimes if those are more intense intervals, I might not get in as much mileage, whereas other ones, um, I, I think I've actually, I don't usually do, usually my mileage run is about 20 kilometers and I'll try to adjust my warm up and cool down for the interval runs to make them roughly 20 kilometers as well. Okay. Sometimes those will run over and they'll be like 23 kilometers but i'm not i'm not usually doing more than that in one session it's really only like once or twice a year if that that i ever get up to like 30 kilometers in one go just because um i'm not training for full distance ironman right now so there's really no need to do so much in one running session yeah what would be if you do your typical 20 kilometer or low 20s uh, mileage run what what how long does it take you what is the uh, of it? it varies a little bit. I would say I'm typically averaging about uh, 430 to 445 per kilometer. Um, it depends a little on the terrain. Like I had, I had one just here in X where I was like exhausted from the race and it's so hilly where I was running that it, it took me like nine, I don't know, like, an hour and 35 minutes or something or more to, to do it. So it, it's, I would say like within the 90 minute range, give or take. Yeah. And speaking of the, your three runs a week, how many days a week are you on the bike usually? Uh, usually that's five days a week, similar to swimming, like sometimes four, just depending on logistics, but usually aiming for, for five. And it is very, it, yeah, again, like that varies a little you usually um and it's increased a little bit lately i've had a few more days over the past few months where i'm doing all three sports typically i'm doing only two sports a day and certainly when i was still working full-time i was only ever able to do sort of two of the sports in a day yeah what do you do for running in winter in canada in particular for the intervals and uh, the harder workouts do you use a treadmill or do you go to an indoor track or are you able to uh, run outdoors i do most of it outdoors um i i used to particularly um when i lived closer to the university of toronto i would use their indoor track a little bit um but i'm a bit outside of toronto right now so it's just not very convenient to get to an indoor track and 
I find that usually the there are some quiet roads close to where I am that are cleared pretty quickly if it snows. So usually the road conditions are good enough that I can do my intervals outside. Um, and I like that a lot better. I just really like bundle up and, and run outside. I, I hate doing intervals on a treadmill. I'll, I'll do mileage running on a treadmill every once in a while, but if I can avoid it, I do. And, and I just, I really hate trying to do intervals. I, I, I've almost, I maybe did that once this past year more for like injury recovery reasons than, than for wanting to be indoors. Yeah. And, and in terms of the periodization there, do you also do something similar to the bike with more higher intensity intervals in the, in the winter and then more race specific work later in the year? Or is, is there a pattern similar to the bike there? Uh, it's different from the bike. I would say we actually do slightly less intensity in the winter and then that will um, maybe often in the spring we'll throw a little bit more intensity on an outdoor track. Like I, I don't run on outdoor tracks very often, even like really most of my training is on the road, but we'll sometimes do a little bit of shorter stuff for a block, which usually is in the spring that, that might be some like 300s and 400s, uh, and even 200s on a, a track. Um, throughout the winter, that's really more of a like longer, like rebuilding based from for running um so lately i've been trying to have my my sort of main time off for the year in late december and and then we kind of ease back into the running and we're more cautious about using back into running just because of my injury history as well so um my brother-in-law ethan um help who used to run with me at university of toronto sort of advises suzanne and i on the content of my run workouts and um yeah to the extent that i see patterns and what he does often we're kind of like rebuilding volume over the winter and then we have some more intensity later and then i think everything just seems to come together by by sort of our a races of feeling like stronger for long distances at a slightly higher in intensity so some of my uh, at least last year we kind of built up to some pretty solid five kilometer hilly intervals leading into worlds and they were hilly because we knew that the saint george course would be hilly and, and that was sort of when i felt really strong for running with kind of everything we'd done over the year coming together in that period of time yeah um could you run us through your last full week of training uh just to get a an example of how how all of the disciplines uh kind of fit together so if you run through your training monday through sunday maybe the last big week you did before the uh, pto european open if you have it available yeah let me let me just try to open it up quickly here because i can't say that i remember it clearly <laughs> um i really kind of rely on like especially around getting into race season just like kind of taking things days by day a lot in terms of what my coaches will put in so we'll like look at it together at the start of a week but I kind of try to like clear it out of my mind pretty quickly so let's see before heading to the, the last really big week before Europe before like kind of let's say before the travel week so I had one kind of moderate week before race week but the one right before that was about 25 hours total of training 
Um, and of that, about eight hours was swim, bike was kind of nine and a half hours, and run was about four hours. And then I had about three hours of strength training altogether. And the strength training part would be three sort of in the weight room sessions and the rest of it just kind of some body weight stuff each day on my own. Um, the biggest swims that week were about a couple that were six kilometers. The, the sort of hardest focus workout was a, a, brick, sec, a brick workout um, that was about three hours total. And, and usually I would do a bit more cycling. That was pretty evenly split between cycling and, and running. Um, and let's see, very, un- would, uh, would it be, would, would it be okay to go through Monday, Monday through, uh, through Sunday just, uh, to get a complete, complete view of it? Yeah. So Monday I had a morning swim, um, morning sort of 5k swim afternoon, uh, sort of hill repeats on the bike and then a little bit of cornering technique work on my bike and some strength, just body weight strength work. Um, what were the hill repeats like, short or long hill repeats? About a, a kilometer. Um, yeah, sort of like 10, 10 by a kilometer hill repeats. Um, and then the next day I had a mileage run and just a shorter 3K swim and a 45-minute sort of heavier strength session in the gym um sort of my heavier lifting day where i do like very typical strength stuff like bench press squats pull-ups that kind of thing um wednesday it was an, a six kilometer swim in the morning uh kind of a mix of some technique work and then some longer harder intervals and then just an easy long ride it's like sort of a almost a four hour long ride, but just low watts, like 130 watts max sort of ride. Um, and then again, uh, just like 15 minutes of some core body weight stuff. Thursday, um, Thursday was the brick session. So that was a bunch of intervals on the bike. And that one was actually, a, that was just like the main interval was 40 kilometers at just above race watts um so that's usually i would break that up into to some shorter sections anywhere from 5k to 20k but um suzanne every once in a while will throw in either as part of a brick or just standalone kind of a harder 40 kilometer um session which i I find really helpful for building um you know, obviously for building fitness on the bike, but also for building my confidence, especially as I'm able to sort of hold higher watts for, for a longer continuous period of time like that. And so from that, it was straight off the bike into um, a bunch of five kilometer progression um, intervals. So kind of building from like a tempo pace to just below race pace uh, uh, within each five kilometer rep. And then... Friday is the just the easy technique swim in the morning and a trainer workout, but just like very easy trainer workout, some intervals, but but not no hard intervals. And and that one actually my coach had a note that if I just wanted to mountain bike, I could do that instead. It was really just a little bit more cycling work. 
then a moderate weight session. So that would be uh, not as heavy as the weight session earlier in the week. Um, it would be more repetitions of each exercise, but, um, but not as heavy. Uh, and then Saturday was just a swim and a little bit of uh, body weight strength. And, and that's, I actually really try usually to have Saturday as a complete off day. I think that that's important just as a mental reset, but also a longer period of time for your body to rest just helps your um, helps with recovery helps with your digestive system and absorbing nutrients better. So the only reason there'd be a swim on the Saturday is I must have just not been able to get it in <laughs> or uh, another day that I was supposed to. So I was sort of putting it in my off day there, which I, I get in trouble with if I do too often. Suzanne doesn't like that. So that was me not being diligent somewhere else that I had a swim on Saturday. And then the Sunday was a, the main focus was a, a run workout, um, sort of a bunch of different intervals alternating between uh, kind of a tempo pace and a race pace within a longer interval. Um, and then a kind of moderate trainer ride and a more dynamic strength session in the gym. So that would be more like, like squat jumps or things, things that are um, quick, quicker, lighter weights, but trying to move more quickly. And so, yeah, so that was, that was the week before I left for Ibiza. So that would have been two weeks out for the race. Yeah. Nice week in, in that run workout on Sunday, uh, how much total kind of work volume. So faster running volume. Did you have there? Uh, so that one was, it was eight it was about 11 kilometers of work volume all right so it was it was it was like a four kilometer interval a 3200 meter interval and then a four kilometer interval but with pace changes within each of those intervals mm. and uh what would you say was your your hardest workout that week the brick workout the brick workout which was sort of basically like a, a 40 kilometer bike effort above just above race watts about 10 to 20 watts about typical like 90k goal race watts and then into a fairly significant run workout yeah um and um is, is brick workout something that you incorporate kind of very frequently or is it just in the final couple of weeks before a race or how how do you do that yeah throughout throughout the main season i do a lot of brick workouts so i think suzanne's preference is actually to do them every week um i find that the week after a race my body often doesn't respond that well to them so we've kind of backed off from trying to do a brick like the weekend after um a race but otherwise we do them quite a bit and we'll probably start those usually this year a bit earlier because i did a training camp in las vegas so i was out on the roads in late march usually we would start them sometime in april as soon as it's sort of um still usually pretty cold but a bit more tolerable to to be riding outside for a long time at home and then we'll do those all the way into um november sometimes in november the bike will become a uh, trainer just depending on the weather at home but um 
yeah, it's, it's quite a significant part of my training. Mm. And uh, one thing that I'm really curious to talk about is that when you, uh, when you started in triathlon and when you have also, when you moved into racing as a professional, you were working full time, I think at a law firm. And then at some point you moved that into part-time, but still working. And it's only quite recently, I think, uh, towards the end of, of 2022 that you, uh, that you quit your job and started training full-time. So can you talk about how you managed through the many years of really combining work and training? Yeah. Um, I think the very most intense period of it was when I started, um, triathlon i i i guess 2018 um and then leading into part of 2019 i i was articling so it's sort of like a residency at, at a law firm and that was the law firm i ended up going back to work at but you're it's very unusual to balance articling with something else and your hours are particularly unpredictable during that uh 10 month period so um there I would in particular I would train very early in the morning I would get up at 4 30 or 5 in the morning and fit a training session in and then maybe be able to do something after work but maybe not um I was definitely doing fewer hours of training I'm not sure how many but it might have been um you know 12 hours a week or something like that for parts of, of that and I would always have my planned off day as a flexible um flexible day so that I could move around when it was in the middle of the week depending on what was happening with work and if I needed a day there that I really just had to be focused on work or if I'd had a day where I just really couldn't get sleep because of work um and then my trainings would kind of be like super loaded with with training and um I really didn't have much time uh for other things I, I it was rare that i could fit in sort of like a social thing here or there but it was a lot of work and training um including a couple times sort of calling my now husband at the last minute and negotiating changing like a dinner date to let's do a swim workout together <laughs> um which luckily he was very patient with and and so supportive um with um uh, but but I really like I love my work too so um I found as much as that was sort of draining and hard to work around there was also an energizing aspect of it of enjoying the sort of change of focus enjoying what I was doing with my work and um and then I, I actually took a year off um when I was hired back I negotiated having a year off in uh 20 like leading into 2020 to uh, focus on triathlon and I did that for a bit but it was um, kind of derailed by the, the pandemic and all of international racing kind of being cancelled for the year so then I went back full-time to the law firm uh, in I think early October in 2020 and I worked full-time for a while kind of in a similar pattern to what I had done with articling uh, before negotiating part-time work arrangement with them which i continued until uh partway through november last year um and the part-time work arrangement was um based on just having fewer lower billable hour target per year so 
it the type of law I was doing wasn't really an environment where you could only have like, okay, I'll just come in on this day or that day, or I'll work between these specific times. It, it is kind of unpredictable timing. Um, but with that arrangement, I, um, it was expected that I would be working with people to sort of manage a little bit more control over my time. Uh, and that I just wasn't working as many hours throughout the course of the year. So a lot of time management Tetris, a lot of trying to be very proactive, getting stuff done efficiently, um, and, and just accepting a certain amount of lack of control as well. Do you, do you have any, any particular, um, I hate the word hack, uh, any particular uh, piece of advice about time management that you learned from that, uh, period that, uh, that you found useful and that you could share with the listeners? Um, I found getting stuff in in the morning was um, really key because the rest of my day was much less in my control. And if I could get at least a solid piece of training in in the morning, I felt like even if I didn't get all the training in for the day that I wanted to, there was something solid there. And that helped me clear my mind to be really focused when I was at work so that um, I could be working efficiently and, and not wasting time um, in terms of getting tasks done at work. And then um, I, I also found that pattern of having kind of a flexible off day very helpful um, so that I could put it in the week where it was needed around my work schedule. So it wasn't optimal always for my training schedule, but it, it felt like a bit of a pressure relief valve on my week. Um, and and yeah and just i i really had to not worry about how like always feeling um exactly the way i wanted to feel going into any workout so sometimes i might i just couldn't be precious about about how i was feeling going into a workout it was sort of here is the window where i can do it i have to do what i can in this window and if it's if it's not an optimal performance for this workout, then I have to let go of that because if it doesn't fit here, it's not going to fit in. And that's the end of that. Yeah. Some, something is better than nothing. Yeah. 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 And when you got up at four thirty in the morning, were you really diligent about your bedtime to not sacrifice sleep too much or yeah, how, how would you say that your sleep managed through that period? Uh, definitely not optimal sleep. <laughs> I was very tired a lot of the time. I just, I, you know, I would do my best to try to get to bed fairly early. Um, but I couldn't always control that. Um, so it, it was variable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you then decided, uh, towards the end of 2022, uh, or in the, in the fall of 2022 to, to quit the, your job and go full time, did you have any predetermined goals or milestones that when i achieve this then then it makes sense to to focus full-time on training or how did that come about um i think the, the main thing there was just realizing the degree to which my heart was really um in the triathlon part of my life and and wanting to um give that room to see where it could go so um it was a bit of a gradual process of um, getting to know some other pros and sort of see, learning a little bit about how they were making it work to be full-time in the sport. 
um, and uh, sort of making sure I was in a financial position where, um, you know, at least taking this as sort of like a one year at a time plan, it would work for the year and I wouldn't have to worry about that. And, and then just, just really wanting to do it. And so um, right now there's no specific um, sort of milestone, like I must achieve this to justify keep keeping on going. It's more assessing each year um, whether it's viable and whether that's still where my heart is. And um, I think how I feel about it at the end of each year is more important to me than exactly how, how I'm, how I've performed athletically specifically, but um, uh, yeah, I try not to, I try not to worry about different things like that through too much throughout the course of a year. It's more like I have like a, a, you know, in the fall kind of a point in my calendar where I sit down and think, okay, how, how did this all look this past year? Is this something that's still working? And, and at the end of the day, um, you know, my, my kind of safety net for myself is that I can go back and, and get a job in law and that that will work out well. And so I feel very secure around that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned going to Vegas for a training camp earlier this year. Uh, is that, do you have other training camps that you plan to go to or that you have gone to in the past? How does training camps fit into your training? Um, yeah, typically I've done one training camp a year. Um, so far it's always been with a slightly different group. And I think that's been really valuable just to learn a little bit from different groups about what they're doing and also just keep networking with people. The one this past year was, um, with real triathlon squad, which is a team that, um, I joined last year. Um, and it was a bit more self-organized in the, in the past I've, um done training camps with specific coaches in their groups um but uh for me yeah it's just valuable to sort of network but also to uh, get a little bit of more riding in um in on the roads sort of uh late winter or early spring yeah uh do you have any other ones planned for this year or is um is this the one that you will have done because it's kind of in that winter period when you want to get out on the road when it's not really possible in Toronto. Yeah, no, that that's really the only one for this year. Like obviously I'll have other really focused training blocks, but at home, but um, for the rest of the season, I, I end up traveling a lot to races and that kind of naturally breaks up some of the training blocks at home and um, the rest of it. I just, I really want to be at home with my partner and sort of in familiar uh, training locations. Um, so typically I'll just do one camp like that each year. Yeah. Um, do you do, so that also probably answers one of the questions that I have that it doesn't sound like you're doing altitude training, but do you do any heat preparation if you're going into races that you know are probably going to be, uh, really hot? I don't know actually if any of the races that you have on the calendar this year are really that hot, but is that something that you, uh, have done or are doing? Um, so far, it hasn't been. Um, so far, the heat adaptation has basically just happened um, naturally. Like I, I haven't. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think w one place where it might have been helpful was Dallas last year. I really, it was a just excruciating conditions in terms of heat for that race, and I didn't perform very well in it. Usually, I'm finding that 
um, especially trying to race relatively nearby a lot of the time. By the time that my races are in very hot locations, I've been doing a lot of training in the heat just naturally outside the um, the part of Ontario that I live in gets very, very hot and humid usually in the summer. Um, and I find that that just adapting to that has usually served me well in hotter races. Yeah. And, uh, another thing that I'm interested in is, um, aerodynamics on the bikes. Of course, power is important, but speed is <laughs> the, what matters in the end. So is that something that you have worked on the aerodynamics on the bike? We, we've, we have, we keep wanting to do more with it. We've never done, um, you know, like wind tunnel testing or anything like that, which we're interested in, but it's just very expensive. So we've just been, um, you know, chipping away with different people at continuing to look at my, my bike fit. Um, there's a startup near me where they were playing around a bit with some equipment to try to test aerodynamics just out on the road. And, uh, we made a few adjustments based on, on that. Um, uh, like my sponsor, Jack Rue with the race kits, does a lot of like wind tunnel testing on their race kits and, you know, things like that. But, um, our approach has been to kind of bite that one off in like bits and pieces <laughs> as we can and, and just try to make little improvements to my position and my bike setup each year rather than doing any yeah. kind of one major thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so next I have a, a bunch of kind of relatively short questions and, uh, uh, I don't know if you have all of the answers or, or actually I think that you said that you don't have all of the answers to these, but I'm just going to ask the questions and the ones that you don't have the answers to, you can just, uh, pass on. So the first one is your total training hours for 2022. And if you also have, have it separated by swim, bike and run. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Next one, best VO2 max ever measured, if you have measured it. We have never measured my VO2 max. The next one is your best 400 meter swim time, or if you have done another kind of t- typical time trial distance. Yeah, I can't, I don't off the top of my head know my 400 meter. For 200, like just under 230, and for 100, 109 are my best times. All right. And uh, best 7.3 bike power or well, 80K, 80K uh, or 90K? 220, like sort of in that 220 range. We're finally hitting that. And that's been our goal for quite a few years is an average power. I'm a relatively small rider, so they don't, it's not like crazy high watts, but yeah. The speed is the important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, what, what's the CDA? Uh, best standalone running performance. So, um, yeah, you can choose whatever distance you feel that where you have achieved the best result. I think I feel like my best results have been my 70.3 splits in terms of the strength and confidence that I felt in running those. Um, I think maybe like on paper, my track times kind of make me a little unhappy because they're kind of far off what I had hoped to achieve at the time. So, um, you know, I think my 5k track PB is like 1606. And our goal was really to get it into like at least the low 15 minute range. Um, But I probably only ran like four or five Ks on the track or something like that because around the injuries. So, um, and then 
Yeah, I think as a junior runner, I ran 9.15 in the 3K at World Juniors, which at the time was just a couple seconds off of the Canadian junior record. And um, I was really, really happy with that at the time. I was able to chip a little bit off of that later on. But again, my goal had been to break nine minutes and I was never able to put together consistent enough training to do that. So it um, I think that doesn't sting anymore because I'm happy with how things are going athletically, but for a long time it, it did. Um, and I was never able to like even try to chip away at that Canadian junior record because uh, the next year, which was my last year as a junior, was my first sort of major plantar fascia tear <laughs> issue that I ran into. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of like my sense of well-being and and um, happiness with, with my running has been in triathlon. Uh, do you have one triathlon run that you think is your best one to date? Um, Oceanside was really, really good psychologically and in terms of speed and technically is my fastest split. I was also very happy with Indian Wells at the end of last season. Um, it, I forget, it was 74 something. I forget the exact time, but It was 74.04. Okay, perfect. Yeah. It was about two minutes faster than I had run on the same course the year before. And I was really, really happy with that improvement and how strong it felt. Yeah, 72.59 in Oceanside. What do, you, what do you think, if you had to take a guess, and without training specifically for a half marathon, but, but I can give you a, a taper. So, <laughs> so you, get, you get to do a half marathon fully tapered and fresh and, and a standalone half marathon, flat and fast, nice, wet, perfect weather conditions. What do you think you could do for a half marathon? I don't know. I, I really don't know. When I was just purely a runner, I was never focused on anything longer than 5K. Like I, I raced a few 10Ks, but I, I never really had like thought about the half marathon or um, what to aim for with that or how you put together just a half marathon on its own. So um, that's just a question mark for me, really. Like I don't, I have no, I feel like I don't really have an experience right now to imagine how it would feel different to run just a half marathon on its own, as opposed to at the end of a triathlon, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, and what is your typical carbohydrate intake in grams per hour in races? Um, I have not calculated that properly in grams per hour yet. I need to sit down and do that. That's actually one of our to-dos around the European Open. I have all of the information about what I took in, but I've in the past, we've been thinking about it in terms of calories, which obviously isn't really what you're supposed to be looking at, but I, I still kind of, that's, I try to take in um, like a hundred, at least a hundred, no, sorry, two, like 200 calories an hour so i need to sit down yeah, and calculate that, that, that would be that would be 50 grams an hour one one gram of carbohydrate is four mm -hmm. four calories mm -hmm. so so for yeah. the european open we had increased that a bit so that it was maybe more like 240 calories um per hour but um i, I we actually like this has been something that we've been meaning to take a closer look at for a long time and I've just started working very recently with a sports nutritionist that I know from my running community at, uh, at home. And then also with precision, uh, fuel and hydration. And we're taking a more careful look at that now. What we have been doing have been working really well and we've never had issues. So 
it's only recently sort of come to a like higher level of priority to take a look at again now. Yeah, makes sense. And what is your typical sleep duration per day? Um, I I am always kind of aiming for eight hours. I have never again. I don't I don't know exactly what it would typically be in terms of when I'm planning my sleep. I'm trying to get at least eight hours of sleep a night. But I, I also, since I stopped working, I nap quite a bit in the day. <laughs> and so I don't know exactly how all of that adds up. That that ability to nap more has definitely made a huge difference in um, supporting some higher intensity in my training. And, um, you know, I might I might nap for up to like an hour and a half a day sometimes, depending on on what we've been doing and just what the training volume and intensity has been like. Yeah. Uh, and uh, finally, we already talked a bit about this. When and what was your first ever triathlon? And and do you remember how it went? Yeah, it was um, actually before before I really started to get into triathlon a bit more in 2018. And I forget, um, I forget what year it was. It was like a couple of years before that, maybe. But um, it was the um, K-Town sprint triathlon which is sort of like quite an old triathlon in Ontario and uh, my partner Chris's family lived in Kingston where that triathlon takes place at the time so he was doing it for fun and I hadn't really done any specific training for it I'd done some on and off swim and cycling around running but I had just gotten back from a trip to Belgium for track and field um, that had not gone very well because of just a very minor injury, but I had had to pull out of a few of my races there. So I got back and I was frustrated and I thought I'll just do this for fun. As long as my, I just like pulled a little muscle on the side of my foot near my ankle basically. So I was like, as long as this is, is okay and I can run on it without pain, I'll just do this triathlon. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I I won uh, the women's race. It's just a very like recreational triathlon. But I was in seventh going into the start of the run, I think, and then um, ran my way up into first, sort of by the last kilometer of it. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. It was like a nice sort of like catharsis after a frustrating like track travel and. And just like very casual, like I was just on my road bike and, and stuff like that. Yeah, nice. And uh, we're getting towards the end of the interview. Uh, so one a question before we get to the rapid fire questions, though, is can you give three pieces of advice for uh, age group triathletes listening to this interview on anything related to how to improve their triathlon performance? Yeah, so the, the first one um, is uh, for someone who doesn't have a long swim background to really take the time as frustrating as it can be to take a step back um, with what they're doing in the water and really focus on technique and how they're moving Um, in the water. I have found uh, that that's really raised the ceiling on what I thought I would be able to do with swimming um, through before just trying to muscle through it. Um, And that so much more than um, cycling and, and running that, that sort of, learning how to move in the water is so important for speed in the water and and sometimes counterintuitive. Sometimes I feel now like I'm not working as hard, but I'm faster and it's it's just a very different field to get used to. But I I think that has um, taken on a lot of limits on what I thought I'd be able to do in the sport. And 
um, one very dear to my heart is to, um, you know, care about data and measuring things, but not, um, you know, not get too, too wrapped up in it and to take a step back from it as well. Um, and to learn how to understand perceived effort in your own body and then how it relates back to that data. Um, one of the, um, I, I just generally find that that works for me and I, I don't actually race with a running watch. I will train with a GPS watch, but I usually do not race with one. I race based on feel. Um, and I've just also had experiences when I was a runner um, where that's been really important, including, um, you know, after that really difficult year struggling with the um, underfueling and anemia when I was about 16, I actually took a month away from track and then came back to running originally not being sure that I, I would and all of my training for at least four months was completely perceived effort I just absolutely refused to look at time splits or watches and and I ended up um, having a huge breakthrough year it just made me really enjoy what I was doing again and and I was actually running better not getting too wrapped up in the numbers there so I think you know having a mix obviously the the numbers are important but um that sort of feel for your own body and, and effort level is really important too. And I, I don't know, this is something I just find helps me a little bit in races and it's a tiny thing, but in terms of keeping the joy in the sport, which is so important in the long run and putting in the training and, and sort of staying motivated during long races. Um, I always try to pick a part of the bike course that I think is particularly beautiful that I make a point during a race of, like appreciating that I'm out on the beautiful bike course. And um, maybe it seems sort of like a very small and silly thing, but um, it's always kind of a moment for myself to remind myself that I love what I'm doing. And I think little moments like that over the time can really um, help you stay resilient and motivated. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And uh, let's move on to the, the rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence to answer these. And the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports? Um, there's a really good Canadian sports psychologist, Peter Jensen, who has a book called Thriving in a 24-7 World that uh, I think has a lot of wisdom and it helped me a lot, especially when I was balancing this with work. And what's an important habit that you have benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Um, I am very disciplined about scheduling and time management. So even if I'm not a tidy person, I am very organized about time. And I think ahead a lot uh, when I'm planning training or racing or anything. And I have sort of like little contingency backup plans. Um and I think it lets me fit a lot into to my days and weeks and months. <laughs> and uh, who's somebody to look up to or that has inspired you? My coach, Suzanne Zalazzo, is my biggest inspiration in triathlon and also a really important mentor in my life. Um, she has a lot of life wisdom and she's always done things her own way and always balanced sport with the arts and um, just for triathlon in life has been one of my biggest mentors and gave me the courage to uh sort of take the leap to do triathlon full-time in the way that i am now yeah that's really nice and finally uh where can uh, listeners follow you uh online and on social media yeah i'm most active on instagram so just at tamra jewett 
Um, and they can also sign up for the Real Triathlon Squad newsletter, which is just uh, at our website. If you Google Real Triathlon Squad, I write a lot of that newsletter and the blog that we do as well. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Tamara, for uh, sharing so much about your training and your background and your goals for the future. It's been really nice to to chat to you, and I wish you all the best for the rest of the season. And uh, maybe see you in seven or three words. Yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with all of the relevant links. And be sure to check out, if you haven't listened to it already, the interview that I did with Frederick Funk. So that was the first pro athlete interview that I did so far. And uh, if you liked this interview with Tamara, uh, you will probably be interested in listening to the one with Frederick as well. Also, a quick housekeeping item. Uh, I am planning to have some Q&A episodes on a number of topics that I will be recording and releasing in the next few months. In particular, I will probably be recording some of them in the month of June before some travel at the end of June and early July. So if you have questions on any of these topics, please send them to me and I will put them on the question list for each respective episode. Uh, so the first topic is uh, racing. That includes race planning, race execution, pacing, tactics, etc. The second topic is nutrition and hydration, and it could be both within racing, but also outside of racing. So in training or in your day to day. The third one I'm really excited about, uh, it's myths and pseudoscience. There is uh, quite a large scope, I guess, here to interpret this. But if you have heard things that you think might be a myth, then send them in and ask, is this a myth or not? And we can uh, clear that up on the Q&A. Uh, the fourth topic that I want to discuss is technology. So any gear, equipment, technology things, AI, whatever you might want to learn about, uh, you can ask questions about that. And the final one is testing. I get a lot of questions on that in uh, for most Q&A episodes. So let's do one specifically about testing, field testing, physiological testing, metabolic testing, and uh, aero testing. There's all so, so many different types of testing that you can do and lots of questions about all of them, of course. So I'm I'm sure that there will be many questions coming in for that one as well i haven't decided on the order of these q a's yet so send in questions for any anyone or multiple of the topics that i listed the more the merrier really i appreciate all of the questions a lot and uh, and yeah i hope that we can have some good q a's in the next few months if you want to improve your triathlon performance and want some help to achieve your goals, then consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or training plan. We have options for athletes of all different levels, different budgets, and no matter what your goals. We have no startup fees nor any minimum commitment terms for coaching. And for the training plans, we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee for plans purchased on our website and an exchange guarantee so you can exchange your plan for another plan if you purchase through Training Peaks. We also have consultation and customized plan options. Find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your goals and needs and see what's best for you. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. If you're looking for electrolytes and fueling products, I would highly recommend trying them out. You can use their free fuel and hydration planner or even a free video call station with the team to prepare your race strategy. And don't forget to take 15% off your first order with the code TTS23. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate swim training for your technique, power, and swim training consistency. Even if you have just 15 minutes available at home, you can get a time-efficient Senate workout done that will help you swim better in the water. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days and get 20% off your first order on senatesimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Q.
keep training smart and keep loving craft. <laughs>